This is Chip in Durham. Erica in Edmonton. And Shannon in Durham. And welcome to episode 67 of the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Whatever Happened to Mr. Garibaldi? And that wasn't a rhetorical question or anything. That's actually the title of the episode. Good, because I can't answer you yet. (laughs) Yeah, you watch this episode, and there is no answer. And in the grand tradition of Babylon 5 titles, it's just this thing. (laughs) Well, at least they, like, say it more or less in the show. And actually, true. yeah, and uh, we do actually get a sighting of Jerry Doyle. So we're two episodes in and we get about two minutes worth of footage for him. He's really earning that paycheck this season. Let me tell you. <laughs> it may only be two minutes, but, you know, that's a that's a big two minutes. Well, silly me. <laughs> he does a lot of acting. <laughs> yep. Kind of intense. Yeah, it, it's it's like interval training. <laughs> I love it. (laughs) So let's jump right in uh, to this episode because I have thoughts about how this episode is structured and what it means about the season and everything else. But so let's just sort of dive in. I'll give you the summary, the synopsis, which is an increasingly odd thing for us to be doing the deeper and deeper we get into the series. But what you need to know... The war between the Shadows and the League of Non-Aligned Worlds and the Vorlons and Babylon 5 has paused. Captain Sheridan jumped down a really deep chasm to escape a nuclear bomb, but he seems to be okay. Chief Garibaldi was apparently abducted by Shadows. He's still missing, and Jakar went looking for him. Or said he would, anyway. The League has fallen apart, the Centauri Emperor is cuckoo banana pants, and Londo's so scared of him, he's plotting regicide. And Delin is very very sad. So that's everything that happened, uh, minus a couple of minor edits, uh, in the previous three seasons plus one episode. In this episode, Sheridan found someone or something in that pit who's either a gangly bearded old dude with really large fingers or a mass of glowing energy. He says his name is Lorian, that he's the first one, that Zahadum's his home and the shadows always return to honor him. And uh, oh, by the way, there's a piece of caution inside you and you're dead. <laughs> For Lorian to be able to help Sheridan leave Zahadum, Sheridan's going to have to change his attitude and stop clinging to life. Meanwhile, Dr. Franklin finds an old message from Sheridan that helps break Delin's funk and she assembles the White Star Fleet for an attack on Zahadum. Meanwhile, meanwhile, an amnesiac Garibaldi is interrogated and gassed by someone in a Psychops uniform. Meanwhile, 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 Jakar goes looking for Garibaldi and manages to accomplish nothing more than getting captured by the Centauri and scaring the fool out of a cat with Marcus's pike. Meanwhile, 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 wait, no, this is actually subsequently, Jakar is delivered to Emperor Cartagia and cuts a deal with Londo from his cell. If he helps kill Cartagia, Londo will free Narn. And that was whatever happened to Mr. Garibaldi. I think it's... <laughs> you know, we, we, we didn't learn what happened to Mr. Garibaldi, but wow, lots happened. Well, yeah, yeah. Lots, lots happened, but lots happened. Um, Erica, <laughs> I'm going to start with you because offline, and possibly in some of our uh, spoiler space conversation... You have said that you weren't really looking forward to the episode entitled Whatever Happened to Mr. Garibaldi. My first question to you is, did you remember the title of the episode 
correctly and was the things that you were not looking forward to, did they actually happen in this episode? Uh, and second, uh, what did you think of this episode? Well, first of all, um, I, I don't think I actually remember this episode correctly. Surprise, surprise, everybody. <laughs> I mean, I remember the episode title. I just didn't remember what happened in it. So uh, so there are there are things in the future of Babylon 5 somewhere down the road. And now I'm not even going to guess what episodes they happen in uh, that I'm not particularly looking forward to. But as far as this episode goes, I really enjoyed it. It was, you know, all of this stuff is happening. And I kind of had, I have like sort of like the, the big brush strokes of, of what's happening in Babylon 5. Like that, that's what's in my head. Uh, it's very difficult to pin down what happens in episode per, to episode, in part because the titles, as we have discussed, sometimes are not particularly descriptive of what's happening in the episode. And also because it is becoming increasingly more serialized of a show. So it's hard, you know, you don't necessarily have a monster of a week of the week or a guest character of the week to point to and say, yes, this is this is the thing that happens in that episode. And also, as Stephen has pointed out, um, Babylon 5, for the most part, is a show where the stuff that is happening, the exciting things, are all kind of happening on the same group of, of a few sets. Every once in a while we get some new ones. It seems like, you know, now we have the uh, we have the, the planet of the Centauri, which is, you know, kind of another regular set. So it's not like something like, say, Doctor Who, where they're on a completely different planet or in a completely different section of time in every story. So it's easy to point to one and say, oh, this is the one where that happens. So... That is my, you know, slight defense for forgetting everything about this show that I love so much. Uh, but I really do like this episode because um, it it seems like it really is is moving things forward, and we get some some really good character interaction. And we we have great character interaction. That is the that is the stuff that is for me. Those are the episodes I'm going to like the best. So between and I mean a lot of it was around Jakar in this particular one. So you get the Jakar and Marcus vibe. You get Jakar and Londo in a wonderful scene, and you know and you get Delenn just being so heartbroken and you know going through something herself it's it's not really she's not bouncing off of another character so much as she is going through a transformation herself so so yeah thumbs up to this episode all around shannon how about you um i will say thumbs up to most of the episode um i am totally on board with the things erica said as far as um jakar and marcus that that's a pair that that's a pair of characters we have not seen together on screen, bouncing off of each other directly before that I can remember. And it's delightful, partly because Marcus is Marcus, and Marcus can be delightful with a brick wall. But um, <laughs> but it works very well. Um, we have the very powerful scenes between uh, Londo and Jakar, where, you know, Londo lays everything out and tells Jakar he's going to help, and Jakar's like, oh, wait a second, gonna cost you. <laughs> I love the scenes with Delenn. I like that. I like Franklin's presence. I like the difference in we'll play catch up again, but we'll do it. And yes, it's a throwback to the old, you know, personal log or officer's log stuff that, you know, Star Trek used all the time. Babylon 5 doesn't use it a great deal, but I, I think they use it more effectively. And um, Franklin gets us all caught up. And it's not just a voiceover of a bunch of different clips, but we actually get to see Richard Biggs emote a bit about the situation and what he's feeling. Um, love that, you know, he shares with Delenn what he found in Sheridan's quarters. And this is the thing that gives Delenn a new idea. She, you know, she can't, 
She, at the moment, has no Sheridan to work with. At the moment, she has no league to work with. Oh, guess what? She's got the Rangers. And she will rally the Rangers and, you know, continue the war on the shadows in a more aggressive way to help stop it. The only thing that bothered me this episode was, as I kind of feared, the interactions between Sheridan and Lorien. On the one hand, there's some interesting philosophical discussion going on. And on the other hand, it was kind of either irritating me or I actually found myself tuning out a couple of times as Lorien continued his discussions of tick and talk. I'm just like, dude, <laughs> you know, shut up already. Are you going to help him or not? Well, we've got a whole episode to get I through, know, dear. But most of the episode I enjoyed, <laughs> um, there were bits that where JMS's impulses in his dialogue got away from him. Just It feels like there was just this sudden disconnect, especially in the last scene between uh, Lorian and Sheridan, where, Lori, if I'm remembering correctly, it was all one, one scene or so uh, that Lorian is admitting that, you know, or claiming that he is the, um, the first of the first ones, the, the granddaddy of us all. Um, and then pointing out that, you know, sh- you know, you've, you've got this Vorlon inside you and, and both of you still want to live. It's like, you, you got to accept things. And then all of a sudden it just turns into this sort of mystical, magical, I don't even know what they're talking about anymore. Is is Lorian offering to help Sheridan fully, you know, die and cross over into whatever the next great adventure is, to quote a different franchise? Or is he helping offer Sheridan the chance at um, surviving this and going back? And th- that just really irritated me. I described in a previous episode how I was afraid that this was going to be a little too far into the mystical front for a science fiction show. And at the moment, I'm, I feel like that has borne itself out. You know, I was, ex- I was kind of expecting that that might have been one of the things that uh, that Chip was referring to that I wasn't particularly looking forward to. But in watching it again, this time, I felt like I had a lot more patience for that sort of, you know, kind of mystical mumbo jumbo. And I think it was because it was so poetic. Um, the first few times, you know, the very first time that I watched it, and then, you know, the next next couple times I was, it was more about just, you know, I was trying to understand what was going on. And, and I was, so I think I didn't have quite as much patience for it, because I was I was a little confused. And now that I kind of have been watching this show so carefully, and really picking things apart as we're going along, like, I feel like I have a better handle on everything that's, that's happening uh, around. And I was able to pay attention more to or maybe it's just that I was paying attention more to the performance itself and the writing and the actual words used. And I found it I found it lyrical and just and just kind of beautiful. So I really enjoyed all of this stuff. And yeah, it does seem a little bit mystical. But I think I'm going to I'm going to call on a what is it Clark's Clark's third law that you know anything that's a technology ah. that is sufficiently advanced appears magic to a, a less advanced technology. So it, it, while it does kind of seem sort of mystical, I feel like if this character really truly is the first one that ever existed in our galaxy, the only way he or it is going to be able to communicate with, you know, puny new little minds like we have is through through something that is going to seem very, very kind of simplistic, because that's the only common ground, really, that that we have uh, with with something so 
so advanced. So so I guess I'm I'm more on board than I expected to be at this point. And maybe it helped too that surprisingly Stephen did not huh. did not throw up his hands <laughs> at, huh. at all of this stuff. He Oh really? Interesting. I was just as shocked as you guys are. Um, he he was very interested in this. And, you know, I haven't actually asked him. I should ask him uh, what the reasoning is that about that. Because I did ask him specifically, like, how do you feel about this, the whole Sheridan plot and this guy? And, and, and Stephen thought it was, you know, like a weird sort of purgatory and an interesting way to tell the story. And he really quite likes Lorian. The uh, the performance he thought was really good. I, I I pointed out that it's Wayne Alexander underneath all of that prosthetic makeup who played Sebastian in a previous episode. And, and Stephen said, oh, that's him. No wonder it's such a, a good performance. That's not just your average guy under some latex. He's, he's doing a great job. So I think, and you know, we even talked about comparing Kosh to to Lorian in the amount of, you know, cryptic obscurity and kind of decided that Lorian, while he's still being somewhat cryptic, it's not Kosh level, like just obnoxious two words. Lorian will actually say full sentences and have a conversation and like talk back and <laughs> forth. Um, but, but, but yeah, I, my, my, my suspicion about that and Stephen, after you've listened to this, please tell me if I'm right or not, is that a good portion of that comes from the fact that we actually have an actor on, yes, under makeup, but an actor delivering these lines and emoting. You can see, you know, his eyes, even though they're under contacts of some sort. Whereas with Kosh, you have a giant toilet bowl seat with, you know, a shower curtain around it. So you're not really getting a whole lot performance wise. And I wonder if that is making a big difference for Steven because he's actually getting to watch an, an actor put something behind the words. I don't know. I could see that. Right. I think that there's that. But there's also Lorian's lines in this episode. They're philosophical, but they're not cryptic. True. And I think that there would, I think that possibly gives us a little bit more to hang our hats on as we as we watch him go. You know, there's mystery, but he's saying stuff that you know. There's no the, none of this. The pebble, the avalanche has started the pebbles, <laughs> or it's too late for the pebbles to vote. Right. You know, there's none of this. Uh, Lorian is fairly direct, even though that he's talking about kind of some expansive stuff. It's not until we get into the you must surrender to talk stuff yeah. that things start to feel a little a little overly worked, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, I, I could I could say that's the point where things really started irritating me, I think. It's like, you know, OK, yeah. you've been talking to him and all of a sudden you're insisting that he's that he's got to. Uh, give up and die and it's like you know i don't get it but anyway yeah here's my theory on that um something something has happened to sheridan who is despite what we see during most of the episode i think it's fairly clear that sheridan is hovering in mid-air surrounded by this white plasma uh energy thing going who are you what do you want to him and all that stuff i think it's pretty clear that that is the real lorian and that is the real state that sheridan's in right now you know he's not hungry he's not been it's been days but he's not eaten and there's the fire and all this stuff that stuff's just in his head shall we shall, shall we agree i could be sure. persuaded <laughs> Lorian tells Sheridan that he's dead, and then he sort of immediately walks that back a little bit. You're actually stuck in between moments. You're stuck in time. You know, what's going to happen to you? And in the end, he says, I can resurrect the embers of your life or whatever. 
Sheridan is psychologically not ready to give up and let Lorian help him, I think. And I think that that's the whole point of the conversation is that uh, this is a situation that Sheridan can't get himself out of on his own. Um, he has to surrender to what's going to happen. He has to surrender to whatever help that Lorian's going to give him. And he's just going to have to give up and let Lorian catch him. That is an aspect that I never really considered. And I feel like it just, it sort of, you know, deepens this this episode and this character a little bit more because, yeah, I mean, Sheridan has been our big damn hero guy ever since he arrived. He's, you know, he he maybe hasn't been 100% right all of the time, but he has always been the man of action, the one who has, you know, he, he has felt confident in his abilities and he has always moved forward very consistently doing things. And it's it hasn't happened very often that things have been done to him, certainly not by his own choice. So the idea of this character at the center of, of this particular storyline has to really just completely rely on somebody else, specifically somebody else that he really doesn't know anything about. Like, I could see him relying on Delenn for things, but this is, you know, just recognizing that he has come to the end of the things that he can do. You know, he's always the guy who has figured out a loophole or some, you know, something that that will get him out of a situation that nobody else has been able to get out of. You know, he's the only guy who destroyed a Minbari vessel during the Minbari War. And so he's he's come up against these walls where something is impossible before again and again, and he's always found his way out. And suddenly here's a wall that's actually a real wall and he can't get through it. And how scary must that be uh, for somebody in that position who's just so used to, to seeing that? I mean, this is, uh, it, oh gosh, this is going to be a terrible pun, but he's hit rock bottom, you guys. <laughs> 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 that wasn't on purpose. It was really what I was going to say. No, but it's it, but it's spot on. And the analogy that Sheridan draws in his own head when we see him fall yet again from that cliff that that's the that's the uh, third third episode in a row that we've seen this sequence <laughs> in one flat in flashback or another. He flashes back to messages from Earth and him trying to trying to sleep on a Minbari bed and Dolan watching over him and saying, I will catch you if you fall. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that's sort of where he gets there. You know, there's also a therapeutic or whatever a- aspect to this. You know, the, you know, wh- what do you resist and what do you what do you accept so that you can move on? I, I don't and I think that that sort of informs the dialogue a little bit, but it's a little too. It, it, it's it's a little too woo woo for me if you just go there, but I think that that's the the whole reason that Lorian's taking Sheridan on this uh, on this walk through his psyche is so that Lorian can, in theoret- theory, save Sheridan's life. And since Sheridan is still in the opening credits, I do think he's going to walk out of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a hint. There. I don't think there's any question about uh, what people are expecting there. Even Steven, like, you know, even at the last, the end of the last season, he was just like, oh, I wonder how he's going to get out of this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no question. Yeah. Um, anything more about uh, Sheridan and Lorian? And Kosh, let's let's not forget about Kosh. I do like that uh, when when Kosh died at Morden in the Shadow's hands, you know, his his dream self told Sheridan that he'd kind of gotten used to living and was a little afraid. Um, I like the re- reinforced uh, message there from Lorian, who says, Kosh is in there with you, and he's part of the problem, and so are you. You are both scared of dying. Mm-hmm. I think that that, I, I think I, I like getting a little bit more retrospective uh, 
um, characterization for Kosh there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a bit more clarity on what's, what's been happening to Lita. You know, Lorian just sort of lays it out. This is what Vorlons do, and now we see that, it, mm-hmm. that that's what Lita's been doing. Yeah, yeah, because they they've had lines of dialogue in previous episodes that you know, Newkosh asked Lita, "Were you carrying him with you?" And she was like, "No, not." But I think somebody else may be mm-hmm. later on. This just sort of spells it out for those of us who didn't work it out, and uh, spells it out for Sheridan who just didn't know. He's just seeing Kosh's in mirrors and things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I love that because you know, as I said before, he's you know the the toilet bowl with a shower curtain. Um, so it is hard to get any kind of personalization out of that performance, especially when his lines are as cryptic as they are. So uh, so yeah, having some sort of retrospective. You know, he's he doesn't want to let go of life. Like that's that is so much more human uh, of a of a reaction mm-hmm. than I would have expected from a character like Kosh uh, as a Vorlon. So it is kind of kind of nice to see that this character that we saw all along really did have feelings underneath all of that. You know, we didn't always know about it, but they were they were there. Uh, so at the end of this episode, Sheridan's taking a nap. <laughs> and and that's pretty much and that's pretty much it. So if we're talking about Sheridan, I think we ought to talk about Delin um because mm-hmm. uh she and he are both sort of uh relying on each other's memory to get them through this episode, at least uh in Sheridan's case at the end. Mm-hmm. But Franklin doesn't have a whole lot to do in this episode other than to uh help provide Delin the prod that helps her get to a restored place of agency in the episode. At the end of the episode, she's wearing the Ranger One cloak. She's leading the Rangers. She says, in a week, we're going to Zaha Doom with anybody else who's brave enough to join us. Yay, team. But it takes her a while to get there in this episode. Mm-hmm. There's a very good reason for that. This this person that she have has fallen in love with, you know, against all odds... And I mean, it has has died. And I just I can't even imagine how that would feel. And and at the same time, she is feeling guilt for that. Like she feels like it's her fault. She made what she thinks now is a poor choice. And it's just oh, I can't imagine how much how much she must be must be beating herself up. So the fact that she wants to just do the Mimbari thing of sitting there and fasting and then just just letting herself go. I I I applaud that as a character decision because I I do feel that that is very realistic and while it's pretty convenient that uh, the Doctor Franklin happened to run across that one particular um, that one particular captain's log thing <laughs> out of uh, out of however many that yeah. he would have recorded mm-hmm. my my head canon is that uh, that Doctor Franklin was specifically looking for something to kind of prod Delenn out of her funk and and get her up and active so that he did some sort of a search and was looking for every log that mentioned Delenn specifically, maybe with some other keywords, because, you know, his his bedside manner isn't always ideal, but for the most part, it's it's pretty good. And he's he's good at relating to people when he tries as a doctor. Are you saying that Franklin did a hashtag search on Sheridan's? (laughs) Yes. Saying exactly that. Yes. That works. Um, So so seeing that 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 speech i think i can understand how that might have might have booted her out of 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 her her rut you know kind of jarred her enough because i mean that it was a really good speech that he makes to the the camera and you know it 
it makes me laugh a little bit that we have a captain who is this emotive when talking to his personal diary. I, I kind of like that about him. Um, <laughs> but his speech about, you know, about things not going well and, and taking your pain and making it into something positive by, I, by, you know, taking action. I mean, that's something that in my life currently I am really, really trying to focus on. So it hit home <laughs> a lot when I heard that speech today so or yesterday when I watched the episode so the thought of that being the thing that sparks her to take action really resonated for me at this time in history yeah I think and she needed that she last episode she was trying to help keep the league together and then Mm -hmm. it falls apart so I can see her you know feeling totally lost totally unsure completely unable to figure out the next thing to do and sink into memories of what she could have done right. Um, I I don't know that story-wise we had to have this um, few moments of introspection from Delenn where she realizes that the, her habit of holding back information led to this point, but I'm glad JMS found the time to include it. I, I think it mm-hmm. helps immensely um, for... Uh, the character for the audience to see Delenn finally realize I, I, I did this the wrong way. Um, and then, you know, Frank, Franklin shares um, what he found. She gets to see not only Sheridan, you know, declaring his surprise and astonishment, but yes, he's in love with Delenn, um, mm-hmm. but also his, his own vision of what to do next of, you know, if you, if you're going to jump off, uh, a cliff you might as well try to fly and <laughs> she seizes on that it gives her ideas and then she is ready to step into a commanding role with a mission that she knows may be completely doomed to failure but damn it she's gonna try so um so i really liked that part of the episode overall very much let's uh, move on and let's briefly talk about michael garibaldi <laughs> It feels like it's been ages since we've seen him, even though it's just been, you know, one episode without him. And he, as you said, Erica, he uh, he he compresses a lot of uh, act, acting into uh, those very few minutes. Uh, <laughs> I w- I'd like to point out that I did not mean that as a subtle jab. Uh, no, a lot no, of no. acting, you know, when you say a lot of acting, sometimes that means overacting. And I don't think that was the case here. I thought it was good. It was just very intense. Yes. No, no. This seems like a good place for a micro Stephen check-in here, because although uh, the three of us certainly know where this is going and what happened in that in that room, uh, I'm curious to s- where this left Stephen. <laughs> He, you know, I don't think he tried to make any guesses about what was happening. He was, by the time we saw him, he was a little bit surprised because at the end he's like, I find it odd that Garibaldi was was only in one scene. Uh, but uh, but he did think that perhaps we wouldn't see Garibaldi at all. And they almost called his bluff. <laughs> so like we, he was he, he was thinking after a while that even though his name is in the title, we weren't going to see him at all. But then but, you know, we, we got just a little bit enough to, to tantalize. So I think I think he was was more amused by that than anything else and of course now wondering what the heck is going on right so the uh pieces of evidence that we have or or that his um his star fury was found and sold for salvage it was picked up by interplanetary expeditions that's the same uh group that sent the expedition to uh, zahadum Mm -hmm. as well as other stuff that has happened along the way and 
when he was gassed and on the floor, uh, he was visited by a psychop. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, we haven't yeah. seen them around for a while. Mm-hmm. For a little while, right. Opaque mask, but... Uh, mm-hmm. Similar, but you know, uh, you, you one could certainly make some inferences into the uh, character's uh, stature. I'm just saying, <laughs> quite possibly, yes. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm glad that he hasn't been forgotten in the show, and it's 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 a nice moment. And I love when he shouts, "Well, silly me!" because that is just so Jerry Doyle. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I'm glad that JMS included this little bit, even though it is a very little bit, because. While he's doing it again, JMS is doing it again. He's answering one mystery. Yes, Garibaldi's alive, but he's got a whole new mystery ready for to unfold in front of the viewer because now we're wondering, you know, A, where is he? B, how did the Psychops, you know, some people may have forgotten um, the earlier episodes that we've seen that there's apparently collusion between the Shadows and the Psychops. We have seen that on screen. Some people may have forgotten it. This may be a way for JMS to start pushing that button and saying, hey, remember that? So mm-hmm. um, I think it was very well done. Yeah. And I have to give big props to the direction of that scene. We had, you know, he's trapped. It felt very, very claustrophobic, not just in the set, but in the direction of it. You get all these frenetic jump cuts and some close ups and some shots that are less close up. It really did. It it really did, you know, sort of feel viscerally uncomfortable watching that scene in a way that Garibaldi would have also felt uncomfortable being in it. Yeah. Uh, If you go back to the Lurker's Guide, you'll see that uh, JMS and the director were talking about this one, and JMS was sort of saying what he kind of wanted out of that scene, and the people around him were saying, oh, yeah, like Homicide Life on the Street. And JMS was like, I don't have much time to watch TV these days. (laughs) But but this, this was kind of groundbreaking in the day, although somebody else broke that ground before uh, Babylon 5. Hmm. Okay. I do want to seize on the word that you used, Shannon, there about mystery, because aside from that, I don't see a whole lot of mystery in this episode or in the previous one. You've got, uh, in the last episode, you did have uh, the cliffhanger with this, with Lorian, and in this episode, you're still sort of wondering what happened to Garibaldi, but... We're totally in serial mode now. It's it's plot, 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 next, 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 next. And if I have any criticism of this episode, it's that a lot of things in this episode happen so that the next thing will happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very true. That was that was one of the things that Stephen observed observed at the end of it was that this ep is one of the most serialized sort of like Game of Thrones style episodes in that there wasn't a story that happened in this episode. They moved pieces, um, mm-hmm. which he found very interesting. And he said, it just makes me want to watch another episode. But we can't. I'm not allowed to do that, he said proudly. <laughs> <laughs> Aw. And I think that that is particularly clear in our last major thread of the episode, which is uh, Jakar. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and Jakar and Londo. Um, working backwards, the jail cell scene is powerful as hell. Yeah. It's amazing. And that moment when the when Londo opens the door to be let out and the light streams in on Jakar. <gasps> oh, God. You know, I mean, that, 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 that's a moment of hope in a really, really, really dark place. Mm-hmm. 
But to get Jakar there, he's already sort of decided that I must find Garibaldi. And then he goes to look for Garibaldi. And he happens to go to a place that has a Centauri presence. And Marcus happens to go with him. But Marcus has to go back to uh, find out more about the where the Star Fury came from. And I need you to go to Babylon 5. I need resources more than I need company. But of course, if Marcus had stayed, Jakar yeah. would have had backup. You know, it's... It's 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 well executed, but I but it's feel obvious. it's it's very obvious, almost painfully so to me. Yeah, yeah it it feels overly uh, convenient, and I mean, it's it, he does a nice job of setting up motivations for each step of the way. Like you can't point at any piece of that and say, "Oh, that absolutely does not make sense." But the the sense that it makes is the kind of sense that you could apply to it after the fact, as opposed to basing those movements on the motivations first. If you if you know what I mean. Yeah. Hmm. But I did. Um, I did quite like. I mean, you mentioned that the the uh, the light coming into to Jigar's cell. That's another another thumbs up for the direction. Um, and I also I love I love the fact that you chose to go from talking about Garibaldi's uh, part of the plotline to talking about Jakar's part of the plotline because they did a wonderful cut from Garibaldi's cell to Jakar's cell. So mm-hmm. you go from you know one trapped space to another trapped space at the end of the episode there, and it was uh, that was just just wonderful. And um, and and Stephen wanted me. He was very insistent. He said that was the best Londo and Jakar scene ever. Write that down. And then <laughs> after after we were done talking about it, he he turned to me again and said, "Did you write down that I said that that was the best Londo and Jakar scene?" Because you need to write that down. I was like, yes, dear, I've got it. <laughs> Do we buy how regretful or uh, cowed uh, Londo is in that jail cell? You know, I do I, in a way because the, it starts off where Londo, you know, when he starts off, Londo is talking in a position where he assumes Jakar is going to help him. He starts by describing the torture and you know i wrote down in my notes it's like londo dude how do you know this you know how how long <laughs> have you been aware of just how oh i don't even have a word for it um just how awful the centauri can be you know to go on to describe in detail you know the the, the torture methods the execution method uh and then you know explaining to jakar you know there is a monster on this throne uh i need you to endure i need you to um, to be ready uh, on a moment's notice when uh, when I make my move, and so that feels that feels like this balance of Londo is definitely in a shaky place right now. He is dealing with the results of his actions and that the fact that they've got this totally insane guy on the throne, but he thinks he can get away around it, and he dictates what he's seeing as a chess piece in his in this game. And then the chess piece speaks up and says, um, you've got to do something for me in return. So <laughs> the dynamic is powerful. It is totally in character, I think, for both characters of Londo, who's been walking this line for so long, and Jakar, who in at the at, at his very core is about helping his people you know, saving his people. Yes, he was distracted with Garibaldi because he had no way to help his people at the time. So he let himself get sidetracked, let himself get pulled off planet, the idiot. Um, 
<laughs> and, you know, and now he's like, okay, this is what I can do. Uh, so it, it totally works for me for both characters. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I keep coming back to about Babylon 5 in general is how how the characters change from, you know, one series to the next or the beginning of the show to, to the end. We actually see the evolution of these characters. I mean, we saw, we talked about it a little bit with Sheridan and, you know, how he was this strong character who has now literally fallen. We talk about it with Delenn, who has, you know, she has a real self-reflection moment in this episode and we get to sort of like peek in on that. And same thing with Londo. I do buy sort of his, the change in his mean that we see in the, in the scene in that cell because he has been through an awful lot. I mean, of all of the characters, he has been at the center of, I think, the most uh, the most sort of drastic action-based plots. And I don't mean action as in, like, well, you know, pew-pew, shoot him up. And he, he's he's done the most awful things. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's he's the nexus, uh, you know, around <laughs> around which stuff happens, which, yes, it's, sure, it's, it's, it's Sheridan, too. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, we do have all of this, this stuff that he has put into motion. And I think sometimes when you are the one that's that's made things happen it's going to hit you even more emotionally so you know with delen she feels like it's her fault that that sheridan went to die so it really it really hits her hard so i absolutely believe uh how londo his his demeanor has changed so much and he's not i mean he's not like he is kowtowing to to jakar in any way he's not bowing down before him um but he is much less bombastic than he has been in the past and he is he's sort of reaching a point of desperation to be able to to ask anarn to to do something for him in the first place so i think it's wonderful i, I love i love the the path that londo has has been on it's it makes me so happy to watch a character evolve it's great Let's also remember that uh, when Londo started this whole scheming business, he and Rifa believed that the emperor's nephew would be a pushover and easy to manipulate. And then he sets foot on Centauri Prime and, nah, he's nuts and he wants to put the whole planet to the torch just so he can become a god. Mm -hmm. That that will change one's perspective fairly quickly. Indeed. Indeed. (laughs) <laughs> well, let's get some final thoughts in before we go through a jump gate, shall we? Mm-hmm. Marcus got a haircut. It doesn't work <laughs> for him. I don't like it. Oh, I love it. Oh, it's. I think it's so much better. I like it. Well, it keeps. Yeah. It helps. You know, it helps him keep it out of his face. Mm-hmm. So when he sees a pipe flying at his face, he can move. I actually liked it so much that the next the next night I had I had a dream about Marcus's haircut and and David Bowie was there as well with his labyrinth hair and then he got it cut in, into the uh, the thin white duke sort of uh, short hair hairstyle and let's just say it was a good dream you guys. <laughs> Whatever you say, uh, Shannon. Any final thoughts? Did you want to mention how uh, wide-eyed, terrible acting of a uh, a random heavy has reappeared, just like in the first season? <laughs> yeah, There's a let's bit say of that, let's yeah. in general. Let's say that our, uh, our our minor characters casting has fallen back into form, shall we? Yep, just a bit. I don't. I'm not sure exactly what I was mulling over when I wrote down um, whoever it was that told somebody else, "Don't think." I think it was Marcus to Jakar or Jakar to Marcus, but but yeah, that 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 just left out at me is like not the best advice at the moment. 
Yep. And to finish off what uh, what Stephen thought about the episode, um, he was, you guys, he has lost the uh, Vehar or Not game for a second time. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, at the beginning, you know, we have a, like a long pan across some stuff. And anyway, he was just like, ooh. First, first of all, he was muttering about like, ooh, a long pan. Look at, oh, camera move. And I had to shush him because I was like, I'm watching an episode here. Stop talking. And then... <laughs> And then a moment later, he leans over and he whispers, I think it's Fehar. And I was just, I just, I was just like, yes, dear. Yes, dear. Fine. And then, and then, of course, in the opening credits, we find out that it is uh, Kevin James Dobson. And Stephen was like, oh, oh, you know, so he was wrong. And at the end, uh, you know, I, I did my, so what did you think of that one? And he said, oh, I liked it. That was really well directed. First thing he mentioned, uh, he said, good job, Kevin James Dobson. He was, he was very impressed by the direction in this episode. He's got another director that he, he enjoys. And, and he really liked the, uh, the performances in this episode and thought there were some really good monologues. So overall, very strong showing for our control group. <sighs> All right. Well, next time around, we have an episode called The Summoning. It's about Sheridan. Somebody shows up on Zaha Doom uh, with an envelope for him, and it's jury duty. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly it's law and order space. Yep, yep, yep. That's totally happening next time, I tell mm-hmm. you. That'll be episode 68. Erica will moderate that one. Hey, have we mentioned before that we've got a website? at b5audioguide.com and a Twitter presence at at b5audioguide and we're also on Tumblr at b5audioguide there's a nice consistency there um, and we'd really love it if you wanted to talk about our episodes uh, over and, and the social media space wouldn't we guys? Absolutely we would. But for now if you have never seen Babylon 5 before there's a curb Right over there. We're going to kick you to it. We're going to go through a jump gate. We're going to talk about spoilers for future episodes. So uh, we'll see you, you over there. We'll see you next time. And you over there, come with us. Poor Steven. (laughs) (laughs) Poor poor Steven. First Kim Friedman, and now Dobson only directs one more episode. I think it's Into the Fire, and he's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Oh, man. You know, I was watching a random uh, Star Trek Voyager episode uh, the other day. Uh, It was one of the ones where it's set set on Earth as they're trying to uh, find Voyager. And uh, who was it? Who who directed it? But Mike Vahar. Hey, hey. (laughs) <laughs> so what, 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 what a surprise. Um, so I was dying to say something about this pre-jump gate because, it, because it's technically not a spoiler, but I want to I talk a little bit about the structure of these episodes and the fourth season. We did that a little bit last time. But I think this episode, in retrospect, suffers a little bit. Because the story is being compressed. All of these chess pieces and people having to get somewhere else. I, I'm, I'm positive that it would have been a little more organic um, if they hadn't had to just cram everything into this one to try and tell a complete story in four seasons. I totally buy that, especially with uh, with Jakar, um, Jakar's bit. Mm-hmm. It would have made so much more sense for Jakar to be doing his searching a bit some success, some failures, and maybe then at a point where it looks like yet another failure, then Marcus shows up, like ne- 
late this episode or next episode um, and have the two of them working together a bit before Marcus has to leave. And, and, and there would probably have been time to create a more plausible reason for Marcus to have to leave. Like, you know, Delenn summons the Rangers and, well, Marcus, that's going to be his first response. You know, yeah. um, something like that would have made that particular section of the story flow better. Yeah, I mean, the whole notion of, uh, you know, the Garibaldi Star Fury has already been salvaged in two weeks. Mm-hmm. It, it, Nine days, yeah. Yeah. Right. We're, although, we're in full on. We're although on, somebody we're pointed on. him to it. He, he, the guy was pointed yeah. to it. That, that That's true. That's but. true. And that helps. But uh, and, mm-hmm. and the IPX uh, connection to Psycor and the Shadows and all this stuff, you know, that sort of that sort of helps. But. Still, uh, you know, we're firmly in soap opera territory, not just space opera. We we said that before. And there's a hell of a lot of stuff that needs to happen before the freaking Shadow War ends four episodes from now. Yeah, that's just mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah actually, the, Stephen was a little bit... I wouldn't say confused, but maybe bemused by why Marcus would follow Jakar in the first place. He was like, have we even seen Marcus and Jakar in the same scenes before? Like, is that a thing that's happened? And not I said, a group, maybe no. as part of a group, not a whole, yeah. but not, not one on one. So I sort of just hand waved it and said, well, I think, you know, we've we've pretty much seen that Marcus knows everything that's going on in Babylon 5. You know, he's he's the guy that has his finger on the pulse. So it makes sense that he would know. And Stephen was like, yeah, you're right. He's a ranger. He, you know, he's Aragorn. He knows all this stuff. So <laughs> so he bought it and it was OK. And, but... and he is the ranger assigned to Babylon 5. You know, there would be hex, mm-hmm. a heck of a lot of stuff happening that between the episodes. Yep, Exactly. But yeah, but it's still you're right. It still feels it still feels convenient and compressed. And and I think I I do agree that if it had been given more room to breathe, it would, I think, maybe just be more consistent with the way the story has been told up until this point. I I don't. I don't actually mind the 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 accelerated storytelling because it does, as we said before, it does feel a little bit more modern. But it it feels like a shift from what we have gotten used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is something I could have maybe asked in in pre-spoiler space, although uh, it didn't hit me at, uh, while we were talking. But I'm trying to figure out what it affects the story, if anything, because we don't get Ivanova from start to finish this time. She was a key figure last episode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, Babylon 5 shifts and focuses on different people at different times. But it feels a little weird to me that we don't see anything of her. You know, whether the actress was, you know, on location for filming something else or it was just her week off. Who knows? But well, I'm going to I'm going to be main real mansplainy here and go. Well, actually, Um, (laughs) but there there was a a scene that was originally in this episode that gets moved into the next episode for time. But uh, she and uh, she was going to go out to look for more first ones. Okay, and that okay. all gets that that all gets shoved into the next episode. And I will yeah, point out, Steven- that's not mansplaining. That is sharing pertinent information. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I but I will actually. I couldn't resist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Stephen did actually notice the absence of Ivanova, and he commented on that. Uh, he he was he was a little bit surprised, and then he noticed that she's not actually on the cover for the DVD. Uh, oh no, the DVDs for this this season. So I think that oh, he Stephen. is. Um, <laughs> oh, Stephen. 
I think he's he's got some ideas. And actually, I do have to say, I will will share with with all of you guys that that the one thing that the major thing that has gotten spoiled for Stephen, based on a conversation we had with some friends who were not very good at uh, keeping stum about the things that they should shut their gaps about, um, oh dear, <clears throat> was that uh, was that Claudia Christian at one point leaves the show, so he does know oh. that she will be leaving. Yeah, sorry guys, but but I I do think it's kind of funny that. That you know he's he's noticing her being around less and less, and she's not on the DVD cover, so he might be expecting that she leaves at Sooner some point during this season, does. which doesn't happen. So at least he's got sort of false ideas planted in his head. Well, that's that's <laughs> still, true, yeah. and that will mm-hmm. that will actually serve him fairly well uh, with the uh, reversals that happen um, at the end of this season mm-hmm. with her mm-hmm. and Marcus, and yeah, which is why I have- don't feel terrible and what's going to happen to them and he is probably going to be genuinely pleasantly surprised uh when sleeping in light rolls around mm-hmm. right for sure so so that with all of this uh moving around stuff we got jakar we got jakar into a jail cell on centauri prime fairly ham-handedly and quickly but it was worth the cost wouldn't you say yep absolutely well certainly you know the conversation itself between Londo and Jakar. I mean, it, it's powerful now. It would have been just as powerful two episodes from now if we were given time for Londo to actually like think and percolate and come up with what he might be doing. Um, I, that's like sort of the only the that's the only thing that bothers me about that scene is that, you know, Londo, yes, he's speaking in generalities. Um, he doesn't know if it's possible someone's listening at the door. He doesn't want to tip his hand in case Jakar wants to get personal revenge on him and, you know, spill the beans and say, by the way, do you realize Londo's wanting to kill the emperor? Um, you know, so, but, um, but the scene itself, the, the, the their conversation itself is really, really strong. Yeah. No matter when it happens. Mm. Uh, so the love arc between Delin and Sheridan gets moved along a fair bit, even though the characters don't see each other because they depend on each other so much. Um, I, I have a feeling I know how Erica is going to answer this question, but um, <laughs> is is the whole love, true love thing for Delin and Sheridan through this season? We've had we've had some commenters on the website talk about how unforgivably diminished Delin's role is in the series, and how she just becomes an appendage to Sheridan and all that stuff. Uh, do you buy that? And do you? And what does this episode do for you in terms of uh, the whole? Uh, the relative importance of uh, the Sheridan and Delenn love arc. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, once again, I do have to say, I don't remember specifics about what's coming. So I will be watching that piece of Babylon 5 with extra close attention to find out, you know, what I do think about that. Up until this point, I have not seen any sign of that. Um, and even not in this episode, because I think the idea that feeling deep love and being motivated motivated by deep love the the idea that that diminishes a character is ugh, makes me want to scream a little bit because i mean yeah when that's the only thing that you have that's motivating a character actually you know what screw that no <laughs> even if that is the only thing that's motivating a character that that is a real motivation and i think i think in in science fiction there's a lot of there's a lot of pushback 
anytime feelings get put into our science fiction stories, um, especially now, that seems to be a big deal. And I, I rankle at that quite a bit because I enjoy romance and I don't think that I should be ashamed for enjoying romance. So when you take feelings and when you take a romantic arc and you put it into a space opera or a science fiction story, I personally don't think there's anything wrong with that, especially if it's done well. And I think so far, the romance between Sheridan and Delenn has been done exceedingly well, especially considering that they had to kind of like shoehorn it in a little bit because we suddenly had a character change at the beginning of of season two. So I am still 100% on board with the way that this is playing out. Uh, I, I think it's a wonderful thing that we get to see a relatively healthy relationship between two very strong characters on screen. And I think that so far, Delenn's actions have been uh, perfectly within within what we have seen from her character. She is she is a tough lady. She is strong. She takes action. She's really smart. I, I love her. Um, but those things should not mean that she isn't able to, to feel great deep love and sorrow when that goes away. I mean, honestly, I think that she's a fuller and stronger character because she doesn't just immediately bounce back and say, okay, well, now I'm mad and we're gonna, we're gonna take Zaha Doom. If she had done that right away, I honestly feel like she would have been more of a caricature than a character because we just get the same thing, boom, boom, boom from her, you know, every time she gets to be the strong one. I don't think that that's realistic. And I like seeing characters that are more realistic. So I'm I'm interested to see where it goes from here. Uh, I don't I don't remember specifics about the things that she does in the future, but I, I have to very strongly say that that being a character who is a a wife or a love interest is not necessarily a bad thing. I think that that the idea that a, a woman doing things for the man that she loves uh, that's <laughs> That's okay, and that needs to be okay. And I, I, I know that there, you know, it's there's there's almost a bit of a feminist backlash against any characters who who do those sorts of things. But you know, there's there's nothing wrong with with being a wife and a mother. Eventually, uh, I think that those are still very important roles for women. And I think that when you have nothing but that on on television and in media, that's a problem. But. Uh, but the, the mere existence of it, when you, especially when you have a character who can do all of those things, I think it's wonderful. I think it's great. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with pretty much with everything Erica said just now. Um, and I have to question, you know, when our commenters make these comments, are they remembering the Mimbari Civil War that's coming and Delenn's role? I mean, that that's her issue. Sheridan does not get involved. He He worries about her. He, you know, if she asks for advice, he offers it. But... That's her issue to deal with. And then the two of them together building the Interstellar Alliance. That's a team effort. That's not anybody being the other's appendage. Um, so uh, I I have to shake my head. <laughs> Any other spoilery thoughts before uh, we jump out? And I do want to uh, talk a little bit about uh, how Garibaldi got where he is. Um, I just want to once again say how much I was giggling with glee inside my head when we were seeing um, the the Londo side of things. Not because, you know, okay, I wasn't giggling with glee during that, like, you know, heavy, heavy scene in the jail cell. But afterwards, thinking about it, just thinking about how Veer is going to come into the picture. Oh, yeah. and yes, we're setting this all up for Jakar to be the, you know, the, the murderous hero. And <laughs> no, 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 that's not what's going to happen at all. 
Yeah, I think I, I would have trouble keeping keeping the grin off my face if I was sitting next to some to Stephen or somebody who hadn't it's seen hard. this before, knowing what's it's coming hard. with that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, every once in a while, when I think about this show and I think about the Garibaldi subplot, I have a little difficulty. Even though Bester explains it all later on. I still have a little trouble getting into my head how it happened and who was working with whom and all that stuff. So I just did want to reconstruct mm-hmm. a little bit how Garibaldi got where he is. The The sequence of elements is the Shadows knew that he was one of the people that Justin talked about who could replace Sheridan as a nexus. And they thought that Garibaldi would be, because he's like parent, naturally paranoid and stuff, that he'd be the easiest one to work with. So they capture him, they turn him over to the Psycor faction that's uh, working with the Shadows, and remember that the Psycor is not completely monolithic on this subject. Uh, Bester's very protective of telepaths, and he's not at all happy with the fact that some of his uh, fellow Psychops are going to sell out telepaths and uh, and send them to the Shadows as uh, weapons systems. Uh, so... Bester sees the opportunity to have his own player in the mix and um, intervenes and takes custody of uh, Garibaldi uh, during this stuff and does things to Garibaldi that we will see later on. So that is, as I understand it, what hap- whatever happened to Mr. Garibaldi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, so uh, a big episode in which a lot of things happen, but a lot of things just sort of really have to happen so we can get to where we're going um, uh, four episodes from now. Hey, thanks for listening, y'all. Uh, we have been uh, enjoying B5 Audio Guide. It's it, it's a it's a high spot in our lives every two weeks, and we love following along this series with you, even when the series begins to change and change again and change again. And right now, we're on a bullet train towards <laughs> the end of the fourth season. And then I don't know what we're going to call the fifth season. We'll have to come up with some sort of colorful metaphor. Yeah. Mop up. Give us some, give us some time because that's going to be a tough one, actually. <laughs> uh, but that'll be uh, that'll be a year from now. In the meantime, uh, I have been Chip, <laughs> and I have been Erica, and I've been Shannon, <laughs> and this is somebody else's shtick for podcasting. But you have been listening to the audio guide to Babylon Five. Take care. <laughs>